Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 5. We're going to continue in the book of Acts um, in our series. And I'm just excited to be a part of this and to be studying this and to be reading this and to be a part of this. I mean, I just, I love God's Word. I don't always like it because there's things in it that press on me. Anybody else? It just presses on us. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm just checking to see if I was the only one. But, uh, man, I love God's Word because it draws us closer to God. It gives us the information that is necessary for, in order for us to be a part of what God has for us. And uh, I, I'm just thankful for that. But uh, as, we stud, as, I, as I read through this week, I, I just thought about this. Man, we live in a current political climate that is causing such a firestorm of fear and restriction and worry and concern. And like I was talking about in Sunday school for just a brief minute, it's, it feels ominous. Like the world feels, anybody else? It just, it feels ominous outside. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the summer heat. That, that feels ominous on itself. But like it just feels crazy. And, and we have seen so much how just a minor shift from anything uh, in the news can cause a major development in our lives. And those developments could cause anything from a lockdown to just sheer panic. And it's just, it's, it's we live in a fearful day. We, we've seen how our government can and will tell us exactly what to do and how to do. It says, hey, you can worship, you can't worship. Look, we never thought that that kind of stuff would happen in America. But we're being told by the government, hey, you can or you can't worship. If you do try to worship, you will get fined. Like, we're seeing that in the United States of America. We're, we're being told by our government, if you can eat out, can't eat out. And what's sad is, most of us, including myself, were quick in the beginning to say, oh, you know what, we've got to do what we need to do to protect who we need to protect, we need to do this, we need to be good neighbors. And it, the reason we did it was for protection, self-preservation. We were worried. That's what I thought in the beginning. We wanted to do what we thought was best to protect ourselves, to protect the vulnerable, to, to protect grandma, to protect, to, to protect our aunts, our uncles, our friends. And it's an honorable thing to want to do these things. Amen? But what we've seen is, as this debacle has continued to move forward, it's quite apparent that the goal is not really safety, but rather control. And some don't agree, but I'm hoping in the next 35 minutes or so that, that you guys will have an understanding from God's word that we are not to be afraid of what might happen, but we are to be, have our hope grounded in who Christ is. So I want us to start in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 17. <clears throat> verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that was in the party, Sadducees, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. Now, remember, last week what was taking place is that the, that the apostles were preaching and things were happening. They were seeing signs and wonders and, and people were being saved and we saw all kinds of things take place. In the world around us, they were seeing all kinds of things happen. And the text tells us that the high priest rose up 
And they, they were the party of the Sadducees. So notice it's a political party that's in charge. It may have been a religious party, but it was also very much a political party. It was the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of life. And when they had heard these words, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. All right, we're going to keep going here in just a minute, but I want you guys to see this. So we see in, in, in verse 17 here, the governing authorities are filled with rage. They're filled with jealousy. They're filled with all kinds of problematic issues that happen inside of political parties. And if you remember back in Acts chapter 4, Peter's already been arrested once for this kind of thing. They told him what? Do not go and gather in the gatherings of people and teach about Jesus. We don't want you to teach about Jesus. Don't do it. They arrested him once and they kept him overnight and then they released him and said and flogged him. They beat him really good and said, don't teach about Jesus. Don't do this. The government of that day told Peter and the apostles not to teach the gospel. And notice the government gave the church a strict and direct order. Do not gather and do not preach in these gatherings about the Christ. Do not teach about Jesus. Don't teach that the blood of this Jesus is on us. Don't you dare do this. And the reason was that they were seeing people coming to know Christ and following the way, that's what they called Christians in the beginning, was the way. And they were seeing men and women leave Judaism, the traditions of men, and going after, following after biblical Christianity. And so they did not like this. The, the, the governing authority did not like this. And the reason was because they were losing money. They were losing their influence. They were losing their power. They were the top dogs of that day. And they did not want to be knocked off the proverbial mountain. So they tell Peter and the apostles to stop gathering, to stop teaching, to stop preaching, to stop worshiping. Don't do it. Well, they didn't stop. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, Peter says, We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. And they were obeying the, the commands of the Lord Jesus. Well, obeying those commands had consequences. Verse 17 and 18, they're arrested again, thrown into prison. Seems straightforward, right? We told you not to do this. You did it. We're throwing you in prison and this is how it's going to go. Never count God out. Verse 19 and 20, or actually verse 19 through 29, um, we see what? Overnight they're thrown in prison, but the angel of the Lord shows up, releases them out of prison. And doesn't give him a command of, listen, run and hide. Get yourself locked up in your upper room and hide. He says, no, go back and do exactly what you were doing before. Go gather, go get in the gatherings of people and teach and preach about the gospel. And so that's what they did. They went and they preached and they teached. Taught. Teach, taught. Where's my, where's my grammar? Taught. They taught. Now, let's keep going in verse 21. Now, when the high priest came 
and those who were with him, they called together the council of the Senate. So here we, we got more political powers in. They got the council and the Senate together and all the people of Israel. And they sent to the prison and said, bring these people to us. They bring them forth. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned to report of what they had found at the prison was securely locked and the guards were standing at the door. But when they opened, they, they, were, they didn't find him inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they were greatly perplexed. <laughs> they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you threw in prison, they're standing in the temple teaching the people. Oh, boy. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them not by force. Why? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So listen, the average Joe, the normal everyday person was receptive to what was happening with the message of the gospel. The people that were against it were the, were the political religious folks. They were against this message of hope. They were against the message of the gospel. They did not want the gospel message taught. So they were afraid of the average Joe Taking these, if we took them out, they were afraid we'd get stoned. Woo! And when they had brought them, verse twenty-seven, and when they had, um, and when they had set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, "Listen, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with all this teaching, and you have intended to bring this man's blood upon us." Well. Technically, the, his blood is on your hands. But Peter, verse 29, I love this. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, and hanged him on the tree. God exalted him, and he is at the right hand, leader and savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of their sins. And, when the, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us to obey him. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So let's stop for just a minute because we see this. The angel of the Lord shows up takes them out of prison. They go at daybreak and they begin to preach in the temple and talk about the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. They talk about these things. The Senate and the council gather together. They can't find them in the prison. So they, somebody says, wait a minute. I know they're not in prison, but they're down in the temple preaching exactly what we told them not to do. They're doing it again. They demand that Peter and the apostles be brought before them and they were set before them and they begin to, to talk to them and ask them questions. They're perplexed. The leadership, the, the, the captain, the guard, they're all saying, how in the world? What is going on? What happened here? I, I don't understand it. We were there. We were in jail last night. The doors are locked. The captain of the guards are there, but they're not there. How did this happen? Never count God out. Locked doors and guards cannot and will not stop the Lord Jesus Christ or his gospel. Locked doors will not Stop the Lord Jesus from accomplishing his desired will. He will accomplish 
what he sets out to do. Nothing can hold our Lord back. He is almighty. He is sovereign. And that includes you and I. He is mighty and sovereign over you and I. R.C. Sproul said, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God's will will ever be fulfilled. Wow. Nothing is outside of God's sovereign control. Period. Amen? Alright, verse 24. When God moves... In this world, it perplexes those who are not followers of Jesus. When God moves in this world, it perplexes those that are outside of Christ. When we see men and women transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the outside world looks in and says something like, Man, religion has gone and done messed you up. Religion has gone and ruined you. I'll never remember my dad's story of... My dad used to be in a honky-tonk bar. He was the lead singer and rhythm guitar player for a honky-tonk band. And he played all... I mean, every dive, every, every lounge, every place you could think of, he played those shows. He got radically saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I can't do this anymore. I've got a new life. And he went and told his bandmates, he said, listen, I can't do this anymore. Jesus has saved me. He said he tried to persuade these men to come and follow Jesus. And they said, Ed, Eddie, religion's done, gone, and ruined you. The outside world looks at the transformation of, the, of a Christian and is perplexed and says, why would you do this? You seem like you're giving up everything in order to, to, to be this straight and narrow religious guy the outside world looks at it as if you're crazy not understanding that the ways of Jesus are ways of eternal life in John chapter 6 we see this happen when the outside world gets a glimpse of Jesus and who he truly is they abandon him and those that are on the inside have a different response. Go over to John chapter 6. I want us to look at this because I think it's important that we see this. So turn over with me. Go to John chapter 6. I want you to see this. And it's, as I read through, and I've read this a couple of times, but as I read it again, it just had this new, <sighs> starting uh, chapter 6 verse 54. Well, yeah, 54. Well, let's go 53. Sorry. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as a living father, as the living father sent me and I live because the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, not like bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the, in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now listen, verse 50 or verse 60. 
When many of his disciples, now these are the people that have been following him. Up until this point on John chapter 6, Jesus was the mainstream ministry guy. Man, he's feeding thousands. He's healing the sick. He's changing lives. He's calming storms. He's doing all these insane miracles. And people are following him by the tens of thousands. Now, verse 60. When Jesus starts to actually go deep and not just have this surface level religion and this surface level um, stuff. Uh, here, let me, let me get the goodies of Jesus and not the, the actual Jesus. Let me get the goodies and the stuff. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? Jesus doesn't try to soft pedal his message. Jesus doesn't come back and say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. I was just kidding about the drinking the, uh, the blood, eating the flesh. Let's have another miracle. Let's get a crusade going and let's get a band up here and let's fix this up. And let me get some lights. And let me get a fog machine. And let me fix this thing up. And hey, we'll put the word away. Hey, listen, I know that this is offensive. So let's not open that up again. Let's just do something different. And like, he doesn't soft pedal his message. He looks at them and says, does this message offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascended where he was before? Think about that. You think this is offensive? Wait till you see who I really am. Wait till you really see how powerful I am. Hmm. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are, are of the Spirit and they have life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who would and who would not believe. And he also knew who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to them by the Father. After him saying that. After him talking about eating flesh, drinking blood, talking about being offended, talking about, listen, I know who you are. I know who's going to I know who's going to follow me. I know from the beginning before the foundation of the world, I knew you. I knew who was going to be mine and I'm getting who is mine. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. So Jesus changed his message completely and said, listen, I need those tens of thousands of followers. I need everybody here. I need the place full. No, that's not what he said. He didn't care that they were offended. He looked at the 12 of his inner circle and said, hey, does this bother you? Do you, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon, this is the difference between the outside world and the inside world. The outside world looks at Jesus and says, whoa, that sounds weird. That's crazy. I'm out. I'm not even interested. I'm leaving. The inside, a believer and a genuine follower of Christ, what does Simon say? Simon Peter says what? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And just so you know that Peter's not, you know, puffed up and knowledgeable, Jesus says, okay, cool. He answered him and says, um, Jesus answered him and said did I not choose you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil he spoke to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot for he one of the twelve was going to betray him look listen I, 
I know who I, I know who I chose. I know you're sticking with me, but I'm just he's making a point that I'm not trying to win a pop. Jesus was not in the interest and not in the business of winning a popularity contest. The God of the universe doesn't need a popularity contest. He's God. He can do whatever he pleases. And so when Jesus transforms a heart, the world thinks it's insane. When Jesus does a, re a redemptive work in the heart, the world looks on in disgust. And, and they're like, ugh, really? And those that seem to, because everybody follows Jesus right now. I mean, 90% of people in the world believe in God. But if you look at the genuine facts, less in, in, in churches like this, 90% of people sitting in pews aren't genuine followers of Christ. That's according to Ray Comfort's research and George Barna's research. That's stunning. Everyone thinks they're a Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 118 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world might look on in disgust at your salvation, but know this, that when Jesus gets you, he keeps you. When Jesus gets a hold of his own, he retains his own. You don't get to leave. You're in, you're sealed in with the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packard said, your faith will not fail while Christ sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. Man, that's good. That is good. That's a good thing to hear. God's stronger than you. Amen. That's solid truth. If Christ is for you, who could be against you? That's Romans chapter 8. If Christ is for you, who could be against you? Amen. Come on. Let's go back to Acts chapter 5. That's just that's a side note. You guys got that one for free this morning. Um, back to Acts 5. So Peter and the apostles are teaching in the temple and they are seized by the council and they're grilled and they're grilled and they're grilled. Verse 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, the high priest questioning them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you filled Jerusalem, you filled the country with this teaching and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter didn't go, well, okay, you're right. I need, to, I need to soften my message. Okay, listen, we won't gather again. I know you told us not to. I know you're the government and you told me not to gather. So because you told me not to gather, I'm going to obey you and not gather. No, that's not what he says. Verse 29 says, but Peter said in the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The world in which we live right now is telling people not to gather and to worship. Houses of worship, some of them are still shut down almost two years later. Some defied these orders and gathered anyways. And some of those men, some of those pastors were put in prison over the last six months. Even within the last six months, I know three pastors that have been put in prison. One of them has been fined upwards in the, in the realm of almost $4 million in fines. 
Bottom line is the devil wants to destroy our freedom and he wants to take away your freedom. That's what the enemy wants to do. I came across this last week. Actually, my sister-in-law read this portion to me. We were at their house last week, and she read this to me. And man, I was as I read this, this was a sermon from John MacArthur. And this clip that I'm about, to, I'm going to quote this. This is insane. I didn't even realize this, but this isn't. This is. I have to hear this. When it comes to the culture capitulating, when it comes to the church capitulating to the government, when it comes to the idea of gathering and worshiping together. Now, listen to this. Back in 1932, a devout atheist named Aldous Huxley wrote the book, A Brave New World. It was a book about a dystopian future. And it assumed that it would not be very long before the West would completely be captive to a totalitarianism state. The rule of a, a, a dominant force where you only have two classes. A ruling class and those that are subject to that ruling class. This was in the book called A Brave New World. It portrayed what life would be like in the future. And it was about 17 years later that another gentleman, it was an atheist named George Orwell, he was a devout atheist, wrote the book 1984. It was another dystopian novel that looked at the future and, and after examining both of these books, and I've, I've drawn conclusions from these two books, and I drew out these pictures of the totalitarian future for the West that was laid out in these two books. Now, somebody says, well, what's totalitarianism? It is both... I'm sorry, it, it is totalitarian rule is slavery. It's a political slavery of everyone. Now, we used to in this country have what was called chattel slavery. C-H-A-T-T-E-L, chattel slavery. It is one person who owns another person's um, property and owns them fully. Political slavery is when the state owns everyone, but the effects on the individual are identical as chattel slavery. We have come to a place in American history where we hate chattel slavery. In fact, we have created massive movements, racial movements, now based upon this chattel slavery. People rise to noble heights to condemn chattel slavery, while at the same time they're willing to become slaves of the state. And they... The ends are exactly the same. Somebody owns you and you have to give up your freedom. Now, I'm giving you I'm going to give you the eight pillars upon which these two books base the idea of a future dystopian totalitarianism state. Number 1. Create a crisis. A crisis puts freedom in danger because a crisis elevates the government and their control. And the more severe the crisis, the more control the government gets and the more freedoms become um, fewer and fewer and they begin to disappear. Secondly, the collective is more important than the individual. The greater good is the good of society, not your good. We don't care what you want or what you think. We've got to stop global warming. We've got, we don't care what your freedoms are. The things that you desire and you want, we don't care. 
We don't, we, you're, what you believe, what you think doesn't matter because the collective is far more important. The advancement of the LGTBQRS, LMNOP, whatever else letters you can add on to that, is far more important on the social side and the good for our society than anything that you think or you believe. So the collective dominates the individual. Everyone is forced into the collective. That's number two. These are eight pillars. Number three. You need a mass psychosis. You need a mass psychosis that is something that makes everyone terrified. Like a plague, like a pandemic, like masks that create a greater threat than giving up your freedom. People rushing into giving up their freedoms when there was a threat that created a mass psychosis. And you have to keep up the deception so that they continue to believe the lies and you can escalate the control. Just when you, th oh, you know what? We just need two weeks to flatten the curve. Maybe two months. No, you got to do this. Now you got to do that. No, you got to do this. Oh, it could be worse. Oh, we've got, oh, the Delta variant. We've got something coming down the line somewhere, somehow, all the time. And if you read the news, it's fear, 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 fear. Pillar number three is you've got, if you want to control people, you've got to have a mass psychosis. You've got to terrify everyone on a mass scale. Number four, control information. Control what people hear. This came from two atheists, two people who hate God. Number four, control information. Control what people hear. Therefore, you control what they believe. And the way you, to control information, you create confusion. You send out all kinds of diverse signals so that nothing is really clear. So that creating the kind of acceptance of irrationality is normal. A kind of madness. Censor what you don't want and control everything by technology and media. Hmm. That's not happening at all today. No? Okay. Number five. And this is a dominant feature in both of these novels. Hedonism. Turn loose all kinds of immorality everywhere. Create situations of unhindered sexual lust. Let people be completely lost in pleasure. No boundaries of any kind of, uh, for all sexual behavior. If you can think of it, do it. Fill the culture with pornography because as long as people are unhinged on their sexual lust, as long as they're lost in hedonistic pleasure, they are not thinking. Wow. Number six. Feed them mindless, accessible, irrelevant, distracting, nonstop entertainment. You hold it in your hand. I've done it myself. I'll get on Instagram and scroll through reels and I realize, holy smoke, an hour's gone by. What have I done with my life? <laughs> so... Live in a world of fantasy and emotional stimulation rather than actual thought. Number seven, make drugs available to everyone because drugged people and drunk people are harmless. They won't try to take over. They won't try to resist. They'll just, okay, whatever, as long as you give me what I want. Keep my drugs coming. And number eight, this is critical. If you want to take over the entire population, isolate them from each other. Because when you isolate them from each other, you control the narrative. You take away from them the example of something different. 
That is what two atheists came up with as a pathway to a dystopian totalitarianism state in which the people are distracted, dumbed down, drugged, and as a result, they give up their freedom. America, that's you. That's me. We are giving up our freedoms non-stop. Okay, the government told me we can't worship and gather. Well, we can't worship and gather. The government told me to. I got to keep my doors closed. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, now this is when the church should be roaring like a lion, but sadly many of us are squeaking like mouses. Mice. The times are disturbing for sure. But that is even more motivation for you and I to live a life that is bold and ready to take on the deceptions of the devil head on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus has told us over 365 times in this book, do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't worry. Don't be anxiety. Don't be filled with fear. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Don't be afraid. Over and over and over again. The believer in this day, in the book of Acts, the believer in this day had many reasons to fear the government. There wasn't the Constitution when Peter and the apostles were around. They had many reasons to be afraid. But rather what they did is they trusted Christ. They raised their heads high and rushed headlong into the adventure of the gospel of Jesus Christ knowing that Jesus held their future. And ladies and gentlemen, the same is for us today. The same truth holds true for you and I today. Jesus Christ holds our future. You and I need to rush headlong into whatever Christ has for us and whatever may come, knowing that Jesus Christ is more than sufficient and He is the good news and He is the one who holds us together. And as a result of that, they taught this and they believed this and they followed through with this. And as a result of that taking place, listen, at the end of this, verse 42. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, um, they beat them. I just love, they just always beat these poor guys. They beat them and charged them not to speak. <laughs> Wait, didn't they just do that? They beat him and told him not to speak in this name of Jesus and they let him go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for, their, for the name of Christ. Now, and every day in the temple from there on out and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. They Christ said, okay, I'm with you to the end. They understood Jesus is more than sufficient. They understood that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody else comes to the Father except through Him. And He's the only way that we get this done. Ladies and gentlemen, the church needs to stand up and roar like a lion. Amen? It's time that we make some noise. This is the good news of who we worship. Jesus wins. Amen? Christ wins in the end, and we don't have to worry about that. That's, that should, I mean, I know we're Baptists, so that should get us a little Pentecostal. That should get us a little excited that Jesus Christ wins, and we get to, and we get to be a part of that. Amen? That's what I'm excited about. Amen, amen, amen.